0: You're listening to the Ollie at UNT podcast. Ollie at UNT is a lifelong learning program offering courses, events, and more for intellectually curious adults age 50 and better. To learn more about our program, please visit our website olli.unt.edu, or send an email to unt.edu. Now, let's join our host, Ollie at UNT member Susan Supack as she sits down for a conversation with one of the people who makes our program so special.
1: This is Susan Supak speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas, known to most of us as Ollie. I'm speaking with Dr. Craig Newman, professor of clinical psychology and distinguished research professor at the University of North Texas, Dr. Newman is an internationally renowned research scientist with expertise on the psychopathic personality and sophisticated statistical techniques. He was one of the experts consulted for the book on the Lindbergh Kidnapping Case, Cemetery John by Robert Zorn. Dr. Newman is also an OLLI faculty member, sharing his expertise and knowledge on various psychological topics. Welcome, Dr. Newman. That is quite an impressive background.
0: Thank you for your kind words, and it's wonderful to be here this afternoon.
1: Thank you. What is the focus of your current research at UNT?
0: As you noted, I spent a lot of my time looking at psychopathic personality disorder. In fact, I spent a good bit of time with Wall Street journalists talking about the recent Las Vegas shooter. Interesting. And uh, whether he was a psychopath or not. So, unfortunately, we have these very nasty people in our world, And one of the things that I study is what leads to the development of psychopathic personality. What, for those individuals that are psychopathic, what is that associated with? And one of the things that's particularly associated with is violence uh, and aggression and hurtful behavior towards other people. So in large part, I study the dark side
1: of human Mm, nature. We're certainly seeing quite a bit of that lately. What is your background
0: so I was uh, born and raised in Wisconsin. Uh, I wasn't uh, really ready for college at age 18, so I worked in factories and drove trucks and got myself back to college at age 21.
1: Good grounding experience. Good
0: grounding experience. Did well in undergraduate, which allowed me to be accepted to a graduate clinical training program in clinical psychology in Kansas University. So I'm quite a Jayhawk fan. And did my internship at uh, University of Michigan Medical Center at the VA in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Since I was seeking to be an academic, I did a postdoc at Emory University in Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, and been at UNT since
1: 1997,
0: going on my 21st year here, and love it here at UNT, and I love teaching the
1: OLLI courses. Well, we're lucky to have you. We really are. Can you tell me what drew you to become an OLLI faculty member?
0: An emeritus professor, Dr. Bert Haslett, a very famous uh, developmental psychologist, studies gerontological issues, Bert knew that I loved teaching, and I put a lot of passion into teaching. And Bert encouraged me to, back then it was called Emeritus College, and he encouraged me to do a class. And so I did to, to see what it was like. I, I believe it's important to give psychology away, to take all of my training, all that I've learned, and try and share that with people. So the first class that I gave, I really became hooked because you have an intelligent, attentive motivated audience you have people you know the ali attendees you know these are individuals who are accomplished they've lived life very cultured sophisticated and yet they want to continue to learn and you really can't ask for a better audience than the people when they they, they're motivated they're intelligent and and, and they're just excited by what you have to present so i was hooked and I, i teach ali courses regularly
1: Great. Well, your background certainly lends to a wide variety of topics for classes. What would you describe as your overall goal in your classes that you present with, for Ollie?
0: So what I try and do is, is take a topic that can be initially somewhat complex. Depression might not seem like a complex topic, but, but it actually is. It's, there's multiple facets to why someone might be depressed. But I try and take a relatively complex topic and and distill some of the main ideas, the main scientific findings that are known about a given psychological disorder, and present to the people in the audience how do we best understand it in terms of psychological processes and also neurobiological processes, and what are the best state-of-the-art treatments for a given disorder that's how I started is presenting on various mental disorders and what are what our mental disorders more generally are presented on but then I realized that the other half of this topic are what are the positive sides of human potential and so most recently I've started a lecture on mindfulness and what that is and and again what its psychological basis is and what its neurobiological basis is.
1: Having taken that class and enjoyed it immensely, I found that you did a remarkable job of taking a vast amount of empirical scientific research and and putting it into very easy concepts to understand about how it can affect a person in their everyday life, health, psychological being, mental state, all kinds of things.
0: Yeah, and that's the most exciting thing about teaching, Ali, is you're. I'm trying to take a topic and distill it down at a level that, you know, not dumb it down by any means, because I have a very intelligent audience often, but to, to present it in a way that it's not full of technical jargon, not full of numbers. I do like to show graphs because I convey a lot of information with graphs. But to convey the scientific findings, the meaning, the interpretation in a way that you can you can take it home and use it.
1: It's so much more valuable, even looking at the graphs and hearing the numbers in the research than someone just saying, do this, it's good for you. Meditate, it's good for you. Eat your vegetables, you'll be better. It's just, to me, a much more powerful way of understanding how truly it affects me and how it'll affect others around me if I do these things. And,
0: well, I really believe that I'm a devout scientist through and through, and I often need empirical data for the whys of things. And sometimes we don't, the science isn't finished, and we don't have all the empirical data, but I, I agree with you. I think that to the extent that we have a solid set of scientific findings that have replicated across studies, and nowadays a lot of papers are published, they're called meta-analytic papers, so they're, they're taking a whole series of studies and then quantifying the results of that. And that allows us to get a very clear signal that we sort of take out the noise, take out the nuances, but we get a very clear signal in terms of what do the findings mean. I think it adds confidence that the results are, are valid, but I also believe in society that part of the way we advance is through education, through knowledge, and through scientific literacy. And so I also try and talk about the scientific method, which can be a very boring topic, perhaps. So my students start to go to sleep. I hope not. But that I can also convey the methods, the tools, the means by which the science is done. And I believe that that's very important for science, too. We need to be able to digest scientific findings as a general community and understand what's being done.
1: That's so true. And as you said, your your last class on a happier, longer life through mindfulness and understanding its effects in neurobiology and psychology was a shift from your research on people who are misbehaving, treating others badly, that sort of thing. I think of that shift in your teaching this sort of class on mindfulness, along with many of the classes that I've seen online and, and in a various other places at different universities on what I guess you would have to describe as the science of happiness. Do you see research going that way and information perhaps coming out in that direction?
0: Yes, I do. And I completely agree that the this sort of science of happiness is, is a very important trend in science. And we can look at the world couple of ways. I don't want to oversimplify things, but we can look at the world as in terms of the bad things that need to be taken away, or we can look at the world also in terms of the good things we'd like to see more of. We have a justice system which is focused on punishment. Don't do this. Don't do that. But another way to deal with misbehavior sometimes is to encourage people, you know, to reinforce the positive things we would like to see. And so I've really become committed to the science of happiness or the study of mindfulness in this case to look at those positive, healthful sides of human behavior, those things that we can become more aware of and augment in our daily life to live happier uh, and healthier lives. And what's very interesting is it looks like on things like mindfulness, it not only affects your psychological well-being, But the scientific evidence suggests that it actually affects your human biology, that it potentially can alter your cells and how they function and potentially help you live a longer life, by the way you think, uh, in terms of a more positive framework.
1: That's absolutely amazing. Thank you, Dr. Newman, for an interesting and informative interview. I appreciate it very much.
0: Thank you for inviting me.
1: This has been Susan Supak speaking with distinguished researcher and professor of psychology, Dr. Craig Newman at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas.